0: What's going on? Welcome to the show. It's the Pete Callender Show, and I'm the Pete Callender. Thanks for listening. Thanks for making me part of the day. Uh, I do appreciate it. And you can catch all of the latest episodes at the com. and, of course, on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Uh, We are all over the place. We're also at the Facebook. We have a group set up. It's called the Pete Callender Show. It is a private group, so you're going to have to answer a question to get in. Uh, But we do solve all of the world's problems, so I think it's worth it. Uh, The show is made possible by patrons, people like Nancy and Nick and Pamela and Patty, and paul and peggy and rebecca and taylor and ron and shan and joseph thanks so much for all of your support i do appreciate it um on the show today we've got uh, questions about protesting in raleigh is it allowed is it not allowed and in general in north carolina is it allowed is it not allowed is it against the executive order uh is the executive order then unconstitutional lots of questions also governor getting a bunch of softballs yet again during his press conference. But when you design the press conference to get softballs and not have follow-up questions, that could put you in a pickle. Um, And yes, I recognize I've made two baseball references there uh, with the softballs and the pickle, but it's okay. Um, This is the whole point of the press conference. This is what it's designed to do. So uh, we'll get to that. Speaking of being designed, uh, the website at Mattress Man has just been completely redesigned, uh, designed to help you find the best mattress, even if you can't get into a store. And I know it's going to sound weird. This is the quote, new normal, you know, like, oh my gosh, how do you shop for a mattress? Well, first off, they have uh, their sleep consultants and they go through extensive training for like six weeks. Uh, and uh, it's actually why he hires uh, Chuck over at Mattress Man Stores. It's why they hire vets because uh, they know that to go through the six weeks of training to be a sleep consultant, it's kind of like boot camp. So they're, you know, they've got some experience. Um, so they go through the training and then, uh, th- it, means that they're expert enough to help you now figure out the right mattress for you based on a number of things. For example, the position you sleep in, do you sleep on your back or your side, uh, or, you know, your stomach? Um, do you sleep standing up? Uh, all of these types of questions, uh, help them help you. And they redesign their entire website. Uh, so you, you can find all of their stuff. They've got all of the best mattresses. They've got uh, the inner springs, the natural latex, the memory foam, and uh, they've got adjustable bases. They have it all. And uh, if you go to their website, you can see everything that they have in stock. And if you're local, you get free local white glove delivery. And everybody gets the 120-day comfort guarantee, and that ensures that you're going to love your mattress. Everybody can use the discount code WELL. Use the discount code RESTWELL, all one word, RESTWELL, and you get an additional 20% savings site-wide. So if you've been thinking about buying that mattress and, oh, look at that. You got some Trump money just came in (laughs) from from the stimulus, from the relief package. Uh, Hey, why not put it towards the bed? And you get 20% off. Use RESTWELL. Go to MattressManStores.com. That's the website, MattressManStores.com, buy local and sleep better. So let me start here. North Carolina legislative leaders announced that they are spending $100,000 for a COVID-19 antibody study. And the plan here is to use the money to purchase and then mail out a 1,000 testing kits. These are at-home testing kits. And uh, the idea is they're going to send them out to a representative sample of North Carolinians who previously tested positive for COVID nineteen, and what they want to see is whether they have developed an immunity to the disease. Because we still don't know this for sure. Like it's always been assumed that once you get it, uh, then you're good to go, and it's like the chicken pox parties. Like hey, we got chicken pox, and now uh, I don't have to worry about it ever again. Although. I'm not so sure that's true either, but um, that's been the general idea is that once you get it, you can't get it again. The study is a collaborative effort with health, sy- uh, health systems across the nation, but it's being led by researchers at Wake Forest Baptist Health and Atrium Health. Atrium is the big one down in Charlotte, used to be Carolina's healthcare care system. Uh, Dr. John Sanders is an epidemiologist at Wake Forest Baptist, and he joined State Senate leader, President Pro Tempore, Phil Berger. He's, um, he was on a conference call with reporters. They did a Q&A with reporters, and I've been on these things over the years. It's basically a news conference, but it's on a, a on a phone uh, system. And he said that they are waiting for funding from other sources, including the CDC, um, to start the study. And that's where the doctors at Wake Forest, this, this is where they were. They were sort of in a holding pattern. They were waiting and uh, in steps the uh, uh state legislative branch and they're like here's a hundred thousand dollars get going now the study's participants are uh going to be from wake forest baptist uh hospital system the health system their patients uh and so they're going to use the kits and they'll do a little blood sample with like a a, a finger prick you know and draw some blood uh and you're going to do that once a month and you do it for a year and then they keep and they'll keep announcing results sort of over this extended period of time. And then if the antibodies are present, uh, then it could be an indication that you've already had the virus. All right? And the doctor says that uh, the antibodies can be detected in a person's blood two weeks after the start of symptoms. And there have been similar tests like this. According to Centersquare.com, they report that there have been similar tests like this in clinical trials in China, but it's China, (laughs) so we're not really sure if we can trust it, which we can't. Okay, so I've got a bunch of audio because I was on the conference call yesterday and I uh, I recorded it. And by the way, if you want to hear the entire one hour conference call with all of the questions and answers and uh, information, um, it's over at the Patreon account. I've got it up there for patrons. If you want to listen to it, that's, the, uh, that's what you get for your exclusive content. Well, just one of the many things. You also get bumper stickers. So here is Phil Berger. Uh, He opened up the conference call by saying that the research was slated to begin already, and this is just basically going to, you know, kickstart the program. Uh,
1: This study uh, and others may show that the virus is uh, worse than the uh, current models that are out there uh, are projecting. But without hard data to back up uh, the opinions that are being expressed, people uh, are increasingly going to be uh, reluctant to comply with government-mandated shutdowns. Uh, the data uh, that uh, <clears throat> comes from uh, from this study uh, may also show that the situation is much better than those models uh, project. Uh, in that case, I believe we uh, can be confident that uh, a reopening of the economy uh, can be done safely. Uh, either way, uh, the key thing is that we need to know. Uh, Dr. Sanders is the chief of infectious diseases at Wake Forest Baptist Health. When he uh, served in the military, uh, Dr. Sanders was the commanding officer at the Naval Research Medical Center. Uh, He is collaborating with other leading epidemiologists and healthcare companies. Uh, Despite uh, the um, uh, really impeccable and uh, impressive credentials of those associated with the study, uh, we also need to acknowledge uh, that there are limitations that exist in the study. Uh, Dr. Sanders is pioneering uh, this study really at breakneck speed uh, with restricted supply chains amidst a global pandemic and an economic shutdown. There will be bumps in the road. No question about that. The data collected uh, will not be perfect. Uh, I don't know that there are very many things in this world that are perfect. Uh, but the only way to start collecting better data, and I believe we will be collecting better data than is available at the present time, is to start collecting that better data. Uh, Dr. Sanders is awaiting funding from the CDC uh, as well as other sources. Uh, he needed funding to begin uh, this study uh, this week rather than next month. Uh, the North Carolina legislature provided that funding, Uh, And the results uh, of uh, the study, the data that we will receive, uh, will help guide policy choices on a host of issues, uh, from everything from school calendars to uh, tax policy uh, and uh, everything in between. Uh, I'm grateful that Dr. Sanders and his colleagues uh, have the courage to be bold and to lead our state and our country in this data gathering enterprise.
0: Uh, I think he's pretty clear here. He says, without the data... People are going to be less likely uh, and more reluctant to comply with government shutdowns. Um, And I think that's absolutely correct. He says there are going to be limitations in the data. And he says it's not going to be perfect. But the only way to start getting better data is to try to get better data. And he's exactly right on this. I think he's exactly right. And so here's Dr. Sanders saying that uh, for this to work. Uh, they're going to need the public to know about it. They're going to need to. Know, uh, uh, they need the public to know how it's going to work, and uh, they're going to need the public to actually participate.
2: The project has been titled uh, the COVID nineteen Community Research Partnership, and it's titled that in in that way for a reason. Uh, we really feel like we have to have citizens step up and help us in uh, in tracking the disease uh, and following. Um, following how we're doing as the disease evolves and as public policy decisions are made that, uh, that might impact uh, rates one way or another. Um, so the study itself is using um, some basic epidemiologic techniques, starting off with syndromic surveillance, monitoring disease activity by, re- by regular reports on symptoms such as fever, cough, shortness of breath, and contacts such as uh, I have been in contact with a known COVID patient and I have uh, was, you know, uh, within six feet of them, that that sort of information. And we are collecting that information through a large data portal created by the Oracle Corporation. Uh, they have worked very hard on on setting this up and have created a portal and data, data uh, base accessible to hundreds of millions of people every day uh, so that it can handle the data entry and provide back-end real-time data analysis for public health uh, public health leaders at CDC and at state and local levels uh, to be tracking exactly how many people are engaged in the study and what their uh, uh, what their reports are we have linked that database to electronic medical records. So for here at Wake Forest, linking into our electronic medical record so that as Oracle and our public health community is tracking the rates of symptoms with us, that at any point we can say uh, we need to look into our ele- electronic medical record and pull confirmatory lab data, data that's been collected in routine clinical care, Uh, that might be COVID tests, it might be other uh, diagnostic tests to track to see if the rates that we are seeing reported by volunteers uh, individually align with uh, increases or decreases in COVID testing in the health system. Overlying that, we are uh, putting out a systematically selected uh, represent- representative sample of serologic assays using at-home testing so that we can track antibody levels in the community and help to fill out the, uh, the information needed to assess what the current prevalence of infection is, meaning how many of us have already been infected and may have had uh, been asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic, or even if we were symptomatic, may not have been able to access a diagnostic test during that, that period. So to help define how many people have already had the infection, and then we'll be sending those tests to volunteers monthly uh, to track how many people acquire the infection based on their antibody levels. And there are a lot of questions about exactly how to utilize these antibody tests. And so this study is designed uh, in part to help validate uh, the tests themselves, uh, the, the various methods that we'll be using to test, as well as the idea of doing it in an at-home uh, setting.
0: All right, so that's a, that is an overview of what this testing regime is going to look like. Seems pretty solid to me, but I'm not a scientist, right? The tests that are going to be used uh, in the Wake Forest Baptist study here are being provided by digital health company ScanWell Health, and these tests have not been approved by the FDA for use by the general public, but can be used for research, and this is the research. (laughs) This is the research. I feel like I need to point that out for some reason. In fact, uh, you'll find out here in a minute why when I go to the questions and answers uh, that occurred on this call here's a call that you need to make if you're thinking about buying or selling a home though and that's the call to rowena patton and her all-star powerhouse team 333-4483 that's 333-4483 mountainhomehunt.com is the website current events the covid19 outbreak here has impacted all of us Uh, She recognizes that, and if you've been thinking about selling your home and you're like, I can't even do an open house right now, uh, don't worry, because Rowena Patton and her team, they've been offering walking tour videos of homes since 2007 on every listing. So it's basically just like the real thing, meaning buyers can tour your home without having to leave their home. Start out with a video consultation with Rowena and her team the uh, all-star powerhouse team. Again, the phone number is 333-4483 or mountainhomehunt.com and start packing. Uh, all right, so Jonathan, uh, sorry, Jonah Kaplan from WTVD, ABC 11, asks whether Senator Berger has been in communication with the governor's office about the plan to reopen North Carolina reopen and see any idea what that plan may be any contact with Cooper about that and the reason Kaplan is asking this is because <clears throat> well um the governor is going to do a news conference later on in the day yesterday so this was er- this was like 10 30 in the morning this uh Berger uh conference call uh, occurs and then later in the afternoon at like four o'clock the governor uh is going to be appearing for his uh not quite daily briefings and um and so here was the question from uh, Kaplan and then the answer from. We've,
1: um, <clears throat> thank you, Jonah. We, we've had some preliminary uh, communications on the staff level with, uh, uh, with the, the, uh, the governor's folks on uh, uh, some proposals as far as uh, matters that they would like for us to uh, consider when we uh, come back into session. Uh, Quite frankly, uh, I have had no communication uh, uh, with or from the governor uh, about his uh, planned announcements uh, with reference to uh, the, uh, uh, the current executive order.
0: So that's interesting. He has no communications with the governor about any of this stuff on the executive order, hadn't heard anything. And the only thing that they've heard from the governor's office is, hey, when you guys come back into session at the end of the month... Uh, here's some stuff that we want you to do. You know the governor can call the General Assembly back into session if he wanted to. This is one of the things that kind of ticks me off and the about the kid glove treatment that this governor gets versus other governors that I've seen in my lifetime and other politicians that I've seen, namely Republicans. The 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 treatment they get, and you're gonna hear it in the in the form of the questions, the way they're framed here between burgers press conference and um Uh, The governors. So with Berger, uh, first off, this question, it's a legit question, I think, and and, uh, Jonah Kaplan, I don't think he framed it in unfair uh, manner towards Berger, which is simply, hey, um, you got any idea what's going to be coming down today from the governor? And Berger says, no, we've had no communication with him. Now, to me, the first thing then that I would ask the governor later in the day is, number one, why haven't you had any communications with the state general assembly? about any efforts to reopen the government and how that would occur and what that would look like. Why have you not reached out to them to do any of that? Number two, why have you not called the General Assembly back into session? Why have you not done that? Now, the General Assembly has set up a task force and they're doing something on their own, but the governor didn't call them back into session. Don't you think that would be, I don't know, something that if this were a time of crisis, which I'm told it is and it Seems like it is. I mean, the IRS just extended the filing deadline through July, and that's not something the IRS tends to do, right? Uh, This is a crisis. Why would you not then call the legislature back into session so you can have them working with you when this stuff is going on? I don't know. And there may be a completely legitimate reason why you don't call them back in. But I think it should be asked, don't you? There are, by the way, there are partners here in the University of Mississippi, Stanford, Georgetown, and they're all looking at different populations as part of this effort. And the database that they're building with Oracle, this company, will be available for use uh, by the CDC. Okay? Here now is, let me see, get this uh, racked up here. This is Laura Leslie from uh, WRAL. Where
3: did the money for this come from? And why not coordinate this with DHHS? They said they hadn't even heard anything about this. Um, it seems weird, not weird, but I, I, it is difficult to understand the purpose of sort of not going through the, the public health agency in charge of the state to do a public health survey in the state. Um, and it's-
0: All right. A couple of things to unpack out of that, huh? So she catches herself. So it seems weird. Well, maybe not weird. No, it does seem weird to you. To you, it seems weird. DHHS, Department of Health and Human Services, said that they haven't heard anything about this. Which I find that a little hard to believe. Maybe they didn't know. I do. Well, I do believe that they did not know about the specifics of this particular study that was getting underway. That's not surprising at all. Um, what is surprising, and I would submit is is a lie, is this notion that the Department of Health and Human Services and the Cooper administration uh, was unaware that Berger and legislative leaders, that Phil Berger wanted this idea of testing pursued. I've been talking about it for over a week because Berger started talking about it. Phil Berger has been Asking this question, hey, we should you know, maybe look at doing some random samples, some random testing, so we can have some idea about how widespread it is. And uh, that has not happened. Nobody, it, it, and it's interesting, is nobody seems to even want to ask the governor about this or uh, uh, Secretary uh, Cohen. They don't want to ask anybody about why not? Why wouldn't you do a random samples of, uh, of testing? Are you not doing this stuff now? And what about Berger's idea? So now it seems to me. That Berger was aware of this study, threw it out there a week or so ago, and uh, gave the governor and his administration an opportunity to get on board with it and to work with them on it, and Cooper didn't. And maybe Berger calculated that and knew that Cooper wouldn't want to. I don't know. But remember the other day when I was talking about the Charlotte Observer and News and Observer editorial board, that they were, you know, oh my gosh, they were wringing their hands and clutching their pearls about how I can't believe the relationship has gotten this bad. Believe it. Believe it. It's been this bad for a very long time. You know, Cooper is a creature of Raleigh. He's part of that machine, uh, that Democrat machine that ruled the state for, you know, a century. So, uh, and Berger is aware of that. Berger came up during that time when Cooper was uh, in the legislative ranks. So, uh, th- you know, this idea uh, that it's only the Republicans' fault that they don't work together, <laughs> it's already, it's such, a, it's such a, an assumption hardwired into the Capitol press corps. And you hear it in Laura Leslie's question, right? And she said, but th- the assumptions, you know, w- it, why wouldn't you work through the Department of Health and Human Services on this? Well, they weren't aware of it. Wait, they weren't aware of this study. So the legislative leader was. But listen, I'm going to re-rack this, and you're going to hear the question again. Listen to Berger's answer, though. Where
3: did the money for this come from, and why not coordinate this with DHHS? They said they hadn't even heard anything about this. Um, It seems weird. Not weird, but it is difficult to understand the purpose of sort of not going through the the public health agency in charge of the state to do a public health survey in the state. Um, And the second question...
0: Another assumption here that she's working off of it's difficult to understand why you wouldn't go through the health and human services to do this kind of a survey. No, it's not it's a private study they're doing this is this this is a research endeavor put together by these other entities this isn't this doesn't need to go through the state government it doesn't need to go through they needed some money they needed. to kickstart the uh, the research instead of waiting a month. And Berger said, here, take this $100,000. So first off, where'd the money come from? Because the Democrats have been saying on social media that this is a slush fund. This is the Republicans are using a slush fund for their personal business or for their personal pet projects and such. So that's where her first question comes from. It's a legitimate question, by the way, you know, that uh, it's been weaponized, but it's a legitimate question is where's the money come from? So here's the answer. It's
3: more for the doctor. Um, and that is about the accuracy of tests. You know, we've been mm. hearing a lot of reporting about problems with inaccurate serology tests, um, false positives, false negatives. Um, and, um, you know, it, it sounds like these haven't even been validated yet. It's that you're saying this is part of what we're doing here is validating them. I mean, to what extent do you feel like this data is going to be sound um, enough to, to make public policy decisions about?
1: Uh, so, Laura, I'll, um, I'll kick off. Uh, and then I'll um, uh, let Dr. Sanders uh, answer the um, uh, the latter part of your questions. Um, as far as the uh, the funding, uh, the funding is coming from the General Assembly. The general Assembly uh, has uh, has funds that uh, enable the operation of the General Assembly, including funds that are utilized uh, on a regular basis for research, uh, for research materials, uh, and uh, so, uh, so this is something that uh, we we have uh, decided is uh, is important uh, from a research standpoint for the General Assembly to have uh, appropriate data uh, from which to, uh, to to make decisions on uh, legislation and policy. Uh, with reference to uh, the uh, uh, the executive branch, uh, I have uh, talked with Secretary Cohen on multiple occasions about the need for um uh, for uh, sample testing uh, and the need to uh to move forward with that um uh, the secretary quite frankly has been resistant uh to uh, prioritizing uh sample testing and um uh, we um, uh, made the decision that uh, because of uh, ongoing resistance uh, that uh, we would continue to look for partnerships that could uh, uh, could provide us with uh, that uh, type of uh, testing and uh, that uh, type of data. Uh, the information that is collected, uh, as I think Dr. Sanders has indicated, uh, will be uh, shared, uh, and uh, it is something that uh, will be available and accessible uh, to uh, to the public health officials, uh, both. Um, uh, in North Carolina and in other places.
2: Thank you. In and, and follow-up to the, uh, the question about the validity of the tests, uh, so I, I believe that Dr. Burks in her press conference uh, yesterday uh, from the White House mentioned that there were over 90 tests uh, available in these uh, commercial assays uh, now and that the FDA is uh, re-looking at their emergency use authorizations on, on many of them. Uh, in, in, uh, in close cooperation with the CDC, we've identified over 40 tests and have been going through their internal and external validation samples uh, in selecting the, uh, the, the best ones to be used. But we are certainly not satisfied with that, nor is the CDC, the FDA, the NIH. We've been in, uh, in close discussion with all of them about uh, ongoing validation processes. Uh, and, uh, part of the way you validate, uh, the use of the test is to use them and compare them to, uh, to other standards.
0: Right. Exactly. Part of the way you validate them is to validate them. (laughs) So, so, all right, a couple things here out of this, uh, out of this Q and a, this particular one. Uh, so first off, um. In other words, the way to find out if the tests work well is to put them through trials, and this is a trial. <laughs> this is a trial. This is one of the things that is really starting to frustrate me. Is this? Um, it's a failure. Usually among the people who are screaming about the urgency and the the, the direness of the situation, right, um, they're the ones that are telling me this is a catastrophe, this is a crisis, this is really, really bad, it's a plague, it's a pandemic, and uh, um, then they turn around and say, but we shouldn't do battlefield medicine. Well, wait a minute. If this is really this bad, and by the way, I believe that it is. I mean, I look around and I'm looking at the devastation that is being wrought here, and it is bad. Uh, I look at and I, because I'm not an epidemiologist, I'm not a doctor, I'm not an infectious disease specialist. Like I don't know these things, so I'm going to rely on as many different experts as I can, listen to them debate it, try to come up with some uh, some ideas about you know who to believe and what courses to take and stuff. But I'm not an expert. Nobody is. Oh, very very few of us are. Right. So um, we're all in the same boat here, and. If these people are saying, we have to start testing these things, we've got to start doing some stuff, we've got to try to this treatment, that treatment, do these different things, then who the hell do you think you are stepping in front of them trying to do this work? The same people who are screaming about the urgency of the pandemic are the ones that are like, I don't know if we should be doing this kind of uh, research here. I'm not sure if this is even going to work. It's the same stuff that happened with the hydroxychloroquine, azimuthamine, whatever. Like uh, the the drug cocktail that, uh, you know, Trump said, hey, I've seen some good stuff uh, about this drug. And everybody's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he's telling people that. I don't care if he's telling people that. If... If it means that people are going to try some stuff, well, you know, they haven't done clinical trials on any of that. This is the clinical trial, folks. We're in it. This is it. Battlefield medicine. It's either important enough for us to be trying anything and everything to help as many people as possible, or it's not. Which is it? You can't have it both ways, right? This is about data collection and getting the answers to things and questions that we don't even know. There are questions we don't even know to ask yet. Put them out there. Let's see what happens. Get the tests out there. Does this mean that, I mean, what about the chain of custody and people are going to be pricking their fingers and sending them in and how can we be sure? Yeah, I don't know. Then I guess we should just all curl up in a ball, stay home and die. Is that the idea? Or just wait it out for three, four, five years? And in the meantime, you know, what becomes of civilization? Like, it's really frustrating me now. These people uh, who tell me that it's really, really urgently dire and uh, but we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't risk doing anything short of like a, you know, a full FDA approved clinical trial in strictly controlled settings. No, this is battlefield medicine. That's what's that's what's happening right now. And if you don't understand that, get out of the way. That's my view to the like these media people just get out of the way. If you don't understand, that's what these doctors are doing, and maybe they don't want to alarm the public, and so they haven't communicated this to you that you don't understand it. Although I would assume that the media folks do understand it because they're the ones that are on TV all the time telling me how bad it is. They also, by the way, uh, she asked this question as if uh, as if Berger and uh, Sanders. Didn't explicitly already say that they know there are limitations and that the data is not going to be perfect. They already said that, and her question is, "Well, how do you know this is going to be not perfect uh, uh, data? You know, like what are you going to be able to use it for?" I don't know, Laura. I'm not sure. Let's see what it, let's see what it says. Let's see what the data comes back as, and then maybe we can compare it to other data that's being done all around the country. How about that? Okay, um, he said that the missing piece of information uh, that they have as public policymakers is how prevalent the disease is in the population. Better data will be a better guide for the response, whether it's from the public health standpoint um, or from the relief standpoint, aid standpoint, you know, how much money do we require going into different programs, that kind of thing. But also, go back to the very beginning, did you hear what he said, that Secretary Cohen has been resistant to to prioritizing sample testing she's been resistant to that and that this has been expressed on multiple occasions which seems to me like something that a member of the capitol press corps might want to ask the governor and more specifically secretary cohen and so when i was watching the press conference i was waiting to hear did anybody ask any follow-up questions directed pointed questions uh to the governor and secretary cohen about what Berger said because he has two things right two pretty big uh pieces of information right number one is that cooper has not been communicating with the legislature about how to reopen uh the the state none of that has been in uh part of the communications between the governor's office and senate leader phil Berger. number one and number two uh burger says that uh you've been resistant to the uh to the idea of prioritizing sample testing nobody asked it nobody asked it this is what i mean they get the kid glove treatment this is why i always say too that it's uh it's nice to uh have the big d shield you get to just kind of hoist it up in front of you and <laughs> block any kind of Negative attention, negative press. It's like they and you're gonna hear it because I have the questions. I've got the questions. So first off, um this is the first question I pulled. Yeah, this is Will Duran. Seems like a nice guy on social media. I've interacted with him. He writes for the News and Observer. And listen to the way he asks this question about uh the protests, because what, and Berger's reference here, I think, is a critical one when he says that we've got to have this more data because without data, uh, people become reluctant to comply with government orders shutting down life, right? You have to be able to justify it. And at the beginning, I think there was justification for it. But as we go f- further along here, it becomes harder and harder to keep people sheltering in place, staying at home, particularly when you know they're running out of money their wealth is being destroyed in front of them um and uh they they can't feed their family or they're about to be evicted right these are the things that are going to motivate people to get out of the house and go about their lives and start ignoring and masse uh these orders so you got to have some data to justify what you're demanding of the public and uh, we've now started to see this reopen NC movement. They went down to Raleigh on Tuesday, and they sat in their cars. They uh, or they they went to a parking lot and they parked their cars, and they were all six feet away, and they had this big mass gathering. And then one of them got arrested, and this caused all of this commotion about. I uh, guess the Raleigh police sent out a tweet that said, uh, "You don't have a uh, you don't have a right to protest. There's no right to protest." You know, and. Uh, people were like uh yeah mm-hmm. um you do it's in the constitution so this is what will duran is asking about um and listen to the way he starts the question uh yeah hi there um there have been some questions lately about
1: whether uh protests should be exempted from the stay-at-home order and uh it's open to to ask the governor what he thinks about that issue if that's something that you're looking into. Uh,
0: well. <laughs> All right, so I'm just wondering, is that you know, just what are your thoughts on that? Is it something that you're thinking about maybe at some point in the future, maybe you know, looking into that? Thinking about it. Just just wondering, if you don't mind. If you have some time on this press conference. This is what I mean. You don't get this kind of a hey, just I might want to ask you because I was wondering about this thing that, you know, is pretty freaking important and has made national news, the Raleigh treatment of this protester. All right. So here is here's Cooper's answer.
4: First, the executive orders that I've issued uh, do not uh, interfere with people's constitutional rights to uh, express themselves. Uh, however, they do deal with people with unlawful mass gatherings and people who are uh, disobeying those orders because they are put there in order to protect the people of North Carolina, uh, protect people from transferring this virus from one person to the next. And those executive orders are there for public safety. And we expect... People to obey those orders wherever they are or whatever they're doing. <laughs> so, my executive order. Next question, please.
0: Yeah, all right. So, my executive order, he says here, was uh, about uh, mass gatherings. You see, not against protests. So you can protest, I guess, one at a time. <laughs> you can protest. You can have one person walk down the street, I guess, in protest. Although some places now, I'm not so sure. Right, and and people hear this, and it concerns them. The other questions that he got, and I'm not saying that all of these are bad questions, like Andrea Blanford at ABC 11, she asked if he was talking with other states. Like we've seen, like up in the Northeast, all the governors are getting together and chatting. Of course, they're all Democrats, but they're all chatting about how to reopen together, you know, be all coordinated and think there's some governors out West that are doing it. And so she says, hey, are you doing that here? And he's like, oh, I've been talking to lots of governors about lots of stuff over the course of all this. And yeah, we talk and yeah, so we're talking. But no, he does. the answer to that question was no. He didn't really actually answer it, which means the answer is no. He hasn't actually spoken with any of the other governors specifically about a regional uh, approach to opening up states and stuff. Um, Travis Fain at WRAL asked him about specific data. Do you have the number of daily tests that you're doing versus how many you want? And he, uh, t- the governor tap-danced around that, never answered. There is no data. They didn't have any data, didn't supply it. Uh, Morgan Francis asked about the field hospital that was needed down in Charlotte. And then two days later, they announced, actually, we don't need it. Alma McCarty uh, from Greensboro's WFMY asked about counties wanting to take over decisions. And the governor said, well, we're going to set, the- as a state, we set the floor of Executive orders, like through the executive orders, we're setting the floor for minimum requirements, basically. And then counties can go further if they want. But he didn't explicitly say this, but they can't go they, they can't go less, right? So they can do more. They can be more restrictive, but not less restrictive. Okay. So if a county wanted to start, you know, opening up again, they would not be allowed to if it was in violation of the governor's executive order. Um, Carolina Public Press asked about what percentage of tests... Uh, are uh, are for uh, the positive tests rather are for people in nursing homes and congregate facilities uh, like prisons and such. Uh, so if you got all these positive tests, what percentage of those tests are coming out of these group homes basically where people are living in tight quarters and they didn't have data for that. They know people want the data. They don't have the data, but they're totally working on getting the data and maybe they'll be able to provide it at some point. I mean, it has only been, you know, six weeks. Uh, Michael Hyland at CBS17 had a question I'm going to play. Elizabeth Ann Brown has a question from the Citizen Times I'm going to play. But first, here is Cole Del Charco. He is with WUNC Radio NPR affiliate asking um, this question about... (laughs) Uh, I think I have the question here. Let me uh, let's take a listen. I think I include the way he asks this question.
3: I
1: just wanted to, to ask a question in reference to oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, Senate leaders uh, and the General Assembly's sur- survey. Um, to oh, sorry, what? How how important of a data point is the spot testing that the General Assembly is going to do? Um, to, to test for coronavirus, how important is that going to be to your decision to reopen business in the state?
0: Okay, so... Poor guy. I think somebody gave him this question to read. This It almost strikes me as... Uh, hey Cole, I can't be on this call today. So here are the questions I want you to ask when you sit on the call. And if they let if they call on you, uh, could you ask this these questions or one of these questions or whatever? And so it seemed like and then maybe like his email closed or he went to a screensaver there at the beginning where it's like oh oh wait uh, and I, I, it happens I get it. But then the question: How important of a data point is this spot testing? What, what, what do you what's the point of even asking that question? How important is it? By the way, uh, here's the governor's answer, which, spoiler alert, not even a real
4: answer. We need more testing across the board, and our efforts are aimed that way for more diagnostic tests and more serology and antibody tests. I think it's important that all of this be coordinated and that we share data and that we work together. But I know Dr. Cohen has worked some on that, so I'm going to let her address that. So he
0: thinks it's important that we coordinate and we work together. You mean like you're working together with the legislature up till now, right? Like you've been working together with them on this stuff, which Berger says you haven't. This would have been a great opportunity for a follow-up. However, the governor and his staff, his handlers, they have uh, constructed these press conferences so you don't ever get to ask a follow-up. So when you ask the governor a question, they just then shuttle you back to being on hold and you don't get to follow up as a reporter. You get to ask one question, you, you better have it scripted well, and then the governor can not answer it and move on and then kick it over here to Secretary Cohen as well.
5: Yes. Thank you for the question. And mm. not much to add to the governor's remarks is that, yes, we want more testing and different types of testing. And so as we work forward here, not only are we doing...
0: And then she proceeds to list like all of the various tests that DHHS and they're doing uh, and they're helping to coordinate, which by the way, remember from Berger's press conference. You remember the thing he said? They spent a lot of time actually talking about Oracle, the company that was creating this massive system that was going to allow everybody to put in the data and then and get out the data. So it's a massive data sharing operation as well. So, yeah, you'll have, and Berger said explicitly, everybody will have access to it. DHHS will have access to it, right? So, yeah, there's, that's cooperation. That's coordination. Are you saying that DHHS and Roy Cooper's administration needs to run all of the operation? That this Wake Forest study can't be occurring on its own. Like I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand why they're choosing this posture. Except for the fact that they hate Phil Berger. That's that's the only thing I can figure out. So here's Cohen's, uh, the, the end of her answer.
5: For someone may have been ex- uh, had COVID-19 to see if they have circulating antibodies. I think all of these pieces are going to be important to help us paint a picture. I think I think we uh, are going to have this picture evolve over many weeks and months that will help us tailor our decisions. And as we think about those decisions going forward, it's no one decision in one moment in time. We're going to continue to have to understand this as it evolves over time. So as we look to the next weeks, it'll be one set of decisions. Then we will continue to to work through this, continue to monitor. I think that's what we want folks to understand, the long-term nature of needing to monitor over a number of months um, so we understand this virus really until we have a vaccine.
0: So it's important, right? Is it important? How important of a data point it's a data point. It's going to be one of many points. So it's, it's as important, I guess, as all other data points, Cole. <laughs> but he's, it almost sounds like he was fishing for them to attack the, uh, uh, the, the Senate leader or this research or something. But, I mean, like, honestly, how can you attack it? It's Wake Forest Baptist. They're just doing research. Seriously, let us know what you figure out. Go do your thing. It's just interesting. Again, the posture that they're adopting here. She is correct. I, I I I agree that like all of this is going to be evolving over weeks, over months, over years. I don't see an end to this anytime soon. That's just my 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 gut telling me that uh, that this is going to be with us probably for the rest of my life, um, and uh, it's going to require a lot of societal level changes, which means. You're going to need somebody uh, that can help get you stuff for, like, emergency preparedness stuff, you know? Uh, So you may want to uh, take this number down. It's 565-2497. That's 565-2497. That is the uh, number that you can send a text message and get Tim at Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Old Grouch's Military Surplus. It's in downtown Clyde. 30-plus years in business. It's an old-school traditional store with a mix of modern and vintage items. But if you take down that number and send him a text, you can uh, find out uh, if he's got stuff. You can ask about items. Uh, you can uh, make an order via text. Uh, you can also do it at his website, oldgrouch.com. Also, though, you can get some advice. If you got a question about like what kinds of supplies or equipment or whatever is is best, you can send him a text. Tim will answer your texts at 565-2497, 565-2497, uh, oldgrouch.com is the website. Next up here is Elizabeth Ann Brown from the Citizen Times, and she asked, well, I'd never heard this word before, and I actually had to go look it up, uh, fractionation. It's actually like a uh, it's like a, a chemical reaction reaction. Thing where uh, something splits apart into different properties, and then has uh, or, or or yeah, something splits apart and then has different properties than it originally had. I think is the scientific definition. But the word you're going to hear is fractionation. Okay.
3: Um, they indicated to us that it was not part of a collaboration with NCDHHS. How um, concerned of y'all are y'all about uh, fractionation of resources? And- how concerned
0: are you? See what I mean? Just the the framing of this question that goes to the governor and his secretary. It's leading you. This is a leading question. How concerned are you? right? How concerned are you? Because they told us that this isn't in coordination with you. Well, Elizabeth Ann Brown from the Citizen Times, what did Berger actually say? He said they've approached. This was the closest, by the way. This is the closest that anybody gets to... Uh, asking Cohen whether or not she's resistant to this idea. Nobody takes what Berger said and then pitches it to them, because that's what you should do. Honestly, as a journalist, as a reporter, you said, Phil Berger said, quote, you've been resistant to uh, prioritizing uh, the sampling uh, uh, research. What's your response? Have you been resistant? Is he lying? Is it true? Right? That's the way you ask that question. But instead, they always, like, twist these questions into, like, oh, I'm sorry I have to ask this, but here you go. So this is the question. How concerned are you about fractionation of resources? <laughs> well, how concerned are they?
3: And um, funding, since that would be based on what they indicated to us, uh, tens of millions of dollars worth of effort.
0: Okay, the the tens of millions of dollars effort, that's coming from CDC. That's not coming from the state, by the way. Okay, the state is putting up $100,000 that came out of the legislature's uh, budget for research. So uh, they're not competing with you, if that's what the question is about, that this is some sort of competition. If you're going to look at it like a competition, then yes, every single grant that's given to any researcher uh, on COVID-19 is going to be competition with the Department of Health and Human Services efforts but that's a really silly way of looking at it.
5: Yes, thanks for the question. So we were not aware of of the research effort before it was um, announced yesterday, but our scientists have reached out. We do want to understand that and make sure that we are sharing data and information. Again, I think a coordinated effort is going to make sure that we use our resources most efficiently. I want to make sure we're using the underlying infrastructure that our state has invested in over a number of years to do surveillance for disease and how we can leverage that going forward and coordination and data sharing is always going to be important here because there are going to be different kinds of research that are needed to understand different facets of the virus, I think what Wake Forest Baptist is doing related to serology is is one aspect, and it is a time series, is my understanding, over over a period, a long period of time of repetitive testing. Um, we're working with partners at UNC and Duke in a different type of, of methodology. So I think all of these things importantly need to come together in a coordinated look uh, at the virus across our state, and so that's where how we want to move um, forward most appropriately.
0: Thank okay, you. well then do that. Like nobody's stopping you from doing that, and I think this is her essentially saying that. Like she's not—you notice what she's not doing, right? She's not trashing it. She's not trashing the effort because how could you? If you—if the intent is to get data, that's what they are doing. These are epidemiologists. These are people that know what they're doing. This is Wake Forest Baptist Health System, right? This is Atrium. They know what they're doing. They're—they're trying to develop these tests to get data back. They're getting CDC grants to do it. And rather than starting next month, Berger and the legislature come along and say, here's a hundred thousand, start it now. That's all that's happened here. But I do note they can't even bring themselves, this administration can't even bring themselves to say, hey, good job finding the money and getting this thing launched more quickly. That's cool. Like, this is what I mean. Like, I don't understand why you have to why you have to adopt this antagonistic posture automatically. Just like is there something bad about what they're doing I don't see something bad about what they're doing so let them do it and then say add a boy good job love to work with you on something else in the future I, I yeah it it's just one of those things it's really it's getting really frustrating here is the closest thing though to a follow-up question that I have heard at one of the governor's press briefings. And it came from Michael Hyland at CBS 17.
3: Hi, Governor. Um, I just want to follow up on the question earlier regarding the pre- the protests that occurred in Raleigh yesterday. I understand those protesters are planning to come back. Uh, to be clear, under your executive order, is any sort of protest considered non-essential at this point?
0: Do people have a right to go to public places and protest decisions you make? Thank
4: you. Our executive order doesn't address First Amendment rights. Our executive order. <laughs> addresses <laughs> mass gatherings. And it addresses mass gatherings uh, that would occur under any circumstances. And this is in order to protect people's public health and to, to try to slow the spread of this virus.
0: So you hear what he's saying? He's being very specific. This, is, this executive order is not seeking to limit people's constitutional rights. It's to limit mass gatherings. Right. It's like a square is a rhombus, but a rhombus isn't a square. That's what he's trying. He's trying to thread this legal needle right here, because I think he I think he knows he's going to get sued at some point over this. All right. Uh, That's it for us today. If you like the show and the content here, please subscribe to the podcast. Give it a thumbs up in the reviews. Uh, You can check out all of the links that are in the description uh, here on the podcast that you're listening to. Check out the description. It's got all of the helpful links to everything that we do. Thank you so much for your support. We'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.